Wild Lives by Phonographic. Hey, and welcome to Wild Lives by Phonographic. I'm Rochelle. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm introducing you to my mate, Paulo Huara, who is not only a professional wildlife photographer, he's also a biologist at Brazil's Federal University of Rio Grande do Norte. Now, while a lot of his research centers around entomology, the study of insects, he also spends a lot of time out in the field photographing all kinds of wildlife, including marmosets and burrowing owls, which he'll be telling us all about today. Now, Paul lives and works in Natal, in the state of Rio Grande do Norte, which is on Brazil's northeastern tip. It's an area known for its pockets of Atlantic forests and its extensive coastal sand dunes. Unfortunately, it's also an area known for its incredibly high crime rate. In fact, Natal is considered the fourth most violent city in the world, with 102 homicides for every 100,000 inhabitants. So, being a wildlife photographer there can come with genuine concerns for personal safety. But throughout his career, Paul has spent a lot of time getting up close to common marmosets, particularly at Nuttall Dune State Park, which is located inside the city and it's a relatively safe place to be. In the past five years, he's also been monitoring and photographing a colony of burrowing owls. Hey Paul, it's so good to talk to you today. Uh, hi, Michael. I'm very honored to be chosen to be uh, interviewed by you for Wild Lives. Oh. It's a great opportunity to talk about uh, the natural beauties of Brazil. Well, we're honored to have you with us. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. Now, you haven't always been a biologist or a wildlife photographer. That actually came a bit later in life for you. But in saying that, you have been into wildlife since you were very young, haven't you? Yeah, I've always lived in close contact with nature because uh, I was raised in a small farm and me and my father used to take long hikes into the woods looking for orchids, uh, camping and everything. Being outside was very natural to me. Even when I was a kid, I liked to camp in our backyard and eventually I felt that architecture was not the right direction to mm. go and I decided to take a new graduation in biology. And as a biology, when I was hiking in the trails and looking for for animals and everything, I felt the need to register everything, and that also led me to wildlife photography. So after you finished studying architecture, you studied biology, and now today you spend a lot of time in the field, which is something that you love to do. But recently you were out hiking alone when you had a pretty close call. Can you tell us a little bit about that day? <laughs> yeah, sure. It's a very, very scary mm-hmm. situation, but uh, it, it was also uh, uh, an amazing experience. Th- that place, Canyon dos Apertados, is a place I love to go. It's yeah. a very remote place, and sometimes you can hike for hours without finding anyone. And that day, I was completely alone, and I was coming from another photography site, and... I decided to take a look there because I always spot something interesting in the canyon. In fact, I was thinking about getting a good shot of the Chilean blue eagle. And I have shot it before, but it was not a very good shot. And so I thought going back there and, and try something better. And when I was there, I took a three miles hike and I was going back to my car which was still pretty far. Mm. And I listened to a persistent roaring 
come from the other side of the canyon. A roaring. A, a roaring, yes. Wow. Um, it was very, very interesting. And at first, I, I didn't know what it is. But after a few seconds, I realized it was a, a mountain lion, definitely. <laughs> And at that time, I was really frightened because I was completely alone. My mm. car was about two miles away, and I had nothing to protect me, not even a pepper spray or something. And I decided to try to look bigger than I am, and pepper <laughs> spray my back, and I, <laughs> I walked backwards, uh, next turn, and run. <laughs> it was very tough because I had almost... 30 pounds of gear in my bag, oh. in my backpack, and yes, and that's what I did, because if the human decided to attack me, I would be definitely a big, big problem, and it was really, really unexpected, although I knew that mountain lions are endemic in that region, I've never seriously took in account the possibility of finding such animal there, and when I was running back to my car, I spotted a couple of Chilean blue eagles, oh. and I, I even I even stopped for a while to get a good shot of them. I was very brave. <laughs> that is so exhilarating and scary, but so special. Yeah. I hope that you do get to go back in a safe way and see this guy and get a good picture of him. Mm-hmm. Now, one of your favorite subjects is the common marmoset. And obviously, they're much less scary than a puma. But you've told me that they're called common because you can find them everywhere. With that said, do you actually remember the first time you saw a common marmoset? No, no I, I don't remember exactly the first time. But I, I was certainly very, very young because uh, they're really common here. They are literally everywhere. Sometimes <laughs> even breaking into people's homes for an easy meal and everything. They, they are very, very common. Uh, on the farm where I grew up, we can see them in large groups in the trees all the time. So they were always around. But today, one of your favorite places to go and see them is in the city itself in Natal Dune State Park. Can you tell us a little bit about this area? It's inside the city. It is actually the second largest urban park in Brazil. The other one is Tijuca's Forest Park. It's the bigger, mm. it's the biggest in Brazil. But the problem is because we have, as I told you, we have safety issues. And there is only a small area in the park where we are allowed to enter alone to photograph. Mm. And at we can spot so many interesting animals there, mostly birds and reptiles, spiders, big spiders, and of course, marmosets. Yeah, it's very cool there. The vegetation of the park is very mixed because it covers a, uh, a large area and there is spots of Atlantic forest mm. but also an Katinga which is a vegetation characteristic of very dry environment. There are some very beautiful trails there but they are open at certain times of the day only and we can only hike there in groups with police escort. Really? So, Yes, we are not suitable to wildlife photographers because we need time to change the lands and set up a tripod. And it's not possible when you are following a group. And large groups also talk too much and talk too loud and scare the animals away. So mm. my park is still a nice place to go. And in a good day, you can surely get awesome tips. 
It's a place where you get some incredible photos of common marmosets and they are freaking cute. They're really, really tiny. The males grow to around 188 millimetres, which is seven and a half inches, and the females are slightly smaller than that. But, Paul, what other physical characteristics are these guys known for? Of course, uh, as they are primates, they look like a small monkey, which, which they are. Mm. But uh, one thing that you immediately see when you put a common monocet is the white ear and the, a white mark on his forehead and a long banded tail. You cannot miss that. They are multicolored with gray, brown, mostly gray and brown, but also with dark yellow spots. And they, they feed mostly on plant resin, and they have claws adapted to carve the trees to get the sap. And they use their nails to cling uh, on the side of the tree and chew a hole in the trunk with their, their long teeth that they have. They are surely very, very captivating animals. Absolutely. Do they actually live in family units? A mammoth group is very, very complex. And they usually live in groups of 5 to 15 individuals mm-hmm. with only one breeding male and one breeding female oh. and their offspring. But yes, but the group may also have other relatives and cousins and other siblings and everything. And interestingly, adults may leave their natal group when they became adults, oh. or not, or they, they can remain there for life. And no one knows what can make an adult live or stay with the group. And another very, very interesting fact is that males do not mate with breeding females that they are related to. Oh, good. Which helps to diversify the, the genetics of the group, of course. And the breeding male and female are usually dominant inside the group, and the other members show subordinate behaviors like grooming the dominant ones and stuff like that. So what other kind of behaviors, though, have you seen that you find really interesting to watch or to photograph? They are very curious, and so they, they approach very, very, very easily mm. to me when I'm, I'm shooting them. It's very, very interesting behavior. But the mother carries the child on its back, and that's a very, a very sweet photo mm-hmm. to take. I like to take mother and child, uh, mama fat photos. It, it's very, very nice. So cute. Now, what about predators? What are their biggest threats? Us, uh, human beings. Uh, we're destroying the habitats regularly, and they are mm-hmm. adapting to live close to urban areas, which is really bad because when they approach people's homes, uh, sometimes they get killed or injured by people and also can get killed by domestic animals like dogs. Mm. And worse, and now, I don't know if you are aware of this, but we have a yellow fever outbreak here. And some people think that the disease is transmitted by monkeys. The yellow fever is transmitted by mosquitoes. Mm. But people think that the disease is transmitted by monkey, mm. monkeys, and, and they're killing killing hundreds of monkeys, not, not, not only marmosets, but bigger monkeys too, even threatened species. Mm. But in nature, uh, common marmosets are in the middle of the food chain, and their predators usually are hawks and eagles, eagles snakes, and big cats. Mm. 
but they are really intriguing little fellas and your photos of them are just incredible. They always make me smile. And of course, they can always be found on your website, which is www.oharapaul.com. And I'll obviously put the links to that on my website. But now another creature that you spend a lot of time with is the burrowing owl. And you've been monitoring and photographing them for about five years. It turns out that you don't even need to go very far to see them because they're basically at the uni where you work. Yes, boring owls are very, very well adapted to urban environment and that problem. I'm monitoring for the past five years has a population of five to 12 birds mm. and they live, they live very well there inside the campus in an area surrounded by buildings and they, they dig their birds there, there, but they are not bothered by, by the people who are walking there by the world. In the camp, I estimate the population of about 50 or uh, 60 boring old, but I really don't have a precise number. This environment that they're living in is 303 acres and you've got all of those owls living there. That's pretty amazing, especially in an urban environment. So they're not huge as far as owls go. They stand to about 7 to 10 inches. How else do you identify them? You're right. Uh, they're, they're pretty small as for, for an owl. And uh, in that colony I'm monitoring, I'm able to identify different owls from marks, marks on their faces, feathers. Mm. And uh, also particular characteristics. There's a knoll there which has an impaired talon on its right foot. I can recognize oh. it immediately. Uh, yes. And there's another one with a, a beard-like face, like Santa Claus. <laughs> it's, it's face. Uh, yes. It's, it's feathers look like a, a beard. And it's very easy spot her too. And so that marks and different characters, they, they can look all the same for a person who will see the all for the first time. But if you are used to them, you can differentiate mm. one from another. Especially if you spend so much time with them and you get to know them as you do. They do dig burrows. Do they, do they definitely dig them themselves or do they um, take the burrows of other animals? They usually use burrows dug by other animals, which they, they prefer. But they can definitely dig it themselves because they have very powerful talents. And I, I saw them digging before. I think if they see an opportunity, they will prefer to use an old burrow to save energy. But if there is no burrow avail- available, uh, they can definitely mm. dig, dig it themselves. So inside these burrows, do they live in a family group? It's a family. Uh, in a colony, I can't see a leadership, for example. Mm. I don't see it's a hierarchy. It seems like that the colony changes regularly, with some members forming other colonies elsewhere. Some members, mostly the youngest ones, stay in the area. Uh, while the oldest members go, go away and form another colony uh, elsewhere. I, I can't see any former member of that original colony now. Uh, they, they all, they're, they're not there anymore. Your photos of them are actually really incredible and they never seem too bothered by your presence. They always seem quite engaged when they see you. How does that work? Are they ever frightened of you? Well, 
I use very long lens. I use a 600 millimeter oh. lens. And, but mm. I try not to bother them. Mm. Sometimes when I'm there uh, regularly, they look more comfortable. Mm. Very, very comfortable with me, with my presence. If I haven't been there for some time, they are a little more scary. Mm. And I used to talk to them when I'm taking pictures. <laughs> I don't know if it works, but sometimes I can be just five feet away from them. Wow. Very, very close, yeah. And if I approach the nest, though, and there's all that's there, they become really annoyed and they start mm. bobbing and make a rattlesnake sound uh, to, to scare me. <laughs> So they make rattlesnake sounds. What kind of other yeah. things do they do? Do they make any other special noises? Yeah, they make all kind of noises when they are annoyed, when they are bothered. Mm. For people, for an animal, they try to scare, they move their wings and bob, and it's, it's very interesting. Now, you've been monitoring them for five years. What kind of behaviours do you like to watch them doing? They really make funny faces. They can wink at me and they can roll their eyes like they are bored and everything. And I'm setting an exhibition called Expressions where I'm going to show the, the funniest pictures of all faces. I think it's going to be out by the end of the year. Oh, I can't wait to see that. So you have been monitoring them for five years. What has kept you interested in them? What do you love about them? They are amazing birds because they are easily approachable and very good models. And uh, my followers on Instagram also love them too. So I like to post uh, uh, boring old pictures regularly. They they are uh, animals that I'm sure to find because sometimes you're going out to try to shoot a particular animal and you don't find any. And the boring owls are there. I know anytime I go there at that spot, I can shoot so many boreals in the mm. afternoon or everything. So their diet includes a range of small mammals, insects and reptiles and amphibians, as you would expect for an owl. But I also read somewhere that when there's a food shortage, the adult burrowing owls will capture owlets from another nest and feed their own young. This is cannibalism, right? Is it true? Well, I've never heard about this behavior, but I think it's possible, really. If there's no food, they will... Uh, look uh, anywhere and anything, but there's a there's plenty of food around the colony, mostly insects. So this is probably not an issue here. Mm. Uh, I've never seen something like that, but I think it's possible. What about predators? Do they have any? Yeah, like mammoths. Uh, main predators are domestic cats and dogs, and they can be hit by cars. But mm. uh, that particular colony is settled in a region like this. Almost no traffic, so for uh, for that matter, they are good. There's no predators for there in that region besides mm. dogs or, or cats. So they're pretty happy and lucky there, right? That's good. Another animal you've been chasing lately is the red-handed howler, which you found in a fragment of Atlantic forest about 100 miles away from where you live in Natal. Why do you want to shoot these guys? The red-handed howler is a very vulnerable species in a very, very threatened status. And in that pocket of Atlantic Forest in my home state, 
And there's a group of 10 to 15 individuals that I really want to photograph before they become extinct. I hope this doesn't mm-hmm. happen, but uh, it's a possibility. And uh, I went there before, but I didn't have the right lens, and I was not able to get good images because it was very dark, and I was not able to get a good shot. I only managed to photograph the face of the monkey through the canopy, and, but I will go there soon and see if I find them again. Very, very noisy monkeys, a very, very interesting animal. I, I want to, uh, to photograph them so bad. Well, I want to see your photos of them. They'll be amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. It's been so good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you too, Rochelle. And thank you for listening to Wild Lives by Fornographic. Now, if you'd like to keep an eye on Paul's incredible work, check out his website at www.ohwarapaul.com and on Instagram at ohwarapaul. There'll also be links to his work on fornographic.com and obviously on Instagram at fornographic. Catch you next time. Wild Lives by Fornographic. Follow us on omni.fm or search for Wild Lives by Fornographic on iTunes. Subscribe today and you'll never miss an episode.